everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Together, we're exploring the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. So I have like boots on the ground, in the trenches, actual spiritual practice and experiences that lead me to believe that it is very, very serious work. Because I don't want to get too fancy or too smart that I don't remember that sometimes evil tries to encroach on God's activity in the world. On this episode, part two of my conversation with our very special guest, the Reverend Aisha Brooks Lytle. Aisha is the Executive Presbyter of the Presbytery of Greater Atlanta. She's a pastor, a vocalist, and the founder of the Commonplace Ministry based in her beloved Philadelphia. You've got um, some deep thoughts on prayer. It's it's a part of who you are and the way that you work. And I've, I've heard you, you've said before, like, we may want to just skip over that part. Why do you think that's true for some people? And why are you not willing to skip that? The main reason why I am not able to skip it is because I experienced the importance of it. Um, I talk often about um, our time at the commonplace and feeling this some negative, you know, we we had known some negative things that happened in the basement and grabbed some Pentecostals and some, you know, eager prayer warriors and just really prayed through the space. This was the basement that the ministry used for, for worship, for community, for, for its own ministry. Actually, so the, the basement in the past, the basement had been like the fellowship hall. It's like old pictures of this, you know, when it was an all white congregation, uh, at new spirit church, which is where the commonplace, you know, now, now home to the commonplace. Um, it, it was, we were trying to, you know, redo the lower level, but it was just this negative energy that was, I can't, I can't have no other way to describe it. Right. Mm -hmm. And nobody wanted to go into that basement. Not one Mm -hmm. person, right. Mm -hmm. Not me, not anybody else, but a, you know, a, a, beautiful one of my secret Pentecostals at Wayne Church at the time um said Aisha I was on, I was on a run you know white people always running somewhere right I was on a run I was on a jog this morning and I just kept hearing the Lord say you have to pray in the basement and I was like oh she oh no she talking about wow. that creepy basement at the commonplace wow. she's like Aisha is it my basement is it your basement I was like I live in a condo I don't have a basement <laughs> I know what basement this is yeah, this that is that stupid yeah. commonplace. but I'm telling you we prayed in that space and whatever the energy was I just shifted hmm. and fast forward uh this past May we had the prayer was to redo the kitchen at some point and long, 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 long story short, a lot of fundraising, a lot of, you know, awesome donors. We were able to revitalize the kitchen in that lower level to the tune of over $310,000. And they, one of the private donors said, um, I will only give if this is named in honor of Carl Brooks Lytle. Oh. And so it's Carl's kitchen. You go down there, it's state of the art kitchen in the hood, lower level flooring redone, you know, foosball table, screens. Uh, I, I cannot believe this is that same basement. Mm-hmm. But you cannot tell me that that did not come to pass because we prayed through and said, like, whatever evil essence wants to encroach on the ministry of God, it is not welcome here. It has no power here. Yeah. 
And so I think the idea of prayer transformation and last reason why this is why I couldn't skip it. When I was a solo pastor in Philadelphia at Mount Airy Presbyterian Church, it also was a big space with basements and all kinds of things. And I was reading over Ephesians 6. And I'm like, why, why is Paul so hardcore about putting on the full armor of God that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers. Now you've got hierarchy within evil, according to Paul's cosmology, right? According to his, how he sees the world. I'm like, why is he so serious about this? And so I wrote in my journal, Lord, help me to see. Called up a Pentecostal girlfriend from my college days. I said, hey, because she was in the neighborhood. I said, hey, what's going on? And how are you doing? She goes, I'm great. How are you? I was like, I'm good. I need you to come and speak in tongues and do whatever it is that you do at my church. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> so I grabbed her. She, and I don't, I don't have that gift. Let me say that too, in terms of speaking. People think you have to have certain gifts. I, I don't, but my discernment is really, really, really high. Um, and so I just knew that there needed to be prayer in that space. And so she came, her, her mother came and she, as soon as she walked in the sanctuary, She's crying, she's speaking in tongues, and she's and then she has a gift of translating. And she's and she said, I asked the Lord, you know, to help you to be able to see. And I was like, wait a minute! I just wrote <laughs> that in my journal. Wow. And seriously, and that had been um that had been some some painful misconduct and some other things in the in the history of that church that went back. A while back, and so that caused me to have that posture. And there were other things, um, other friends, other um, people with prophetic gifts around the encroachment. I actually had a friend who had a dream that it was like it looked like darkness was coming towards the sanctuary, and that I was kind of fighting back. And so she just was like, "Whatever's happening, I am praying for you." <sighs> so I have like on the boots on the ground, in the trenches actual spiritual practice and experiences that lead me to believe that it is very, very serious work. And it is actually as you know, my brain, my head and my heart tell me this is not something that I can take lightly, no matter where I, I was all jokes aside, I was walking through the office last night, just praying for the churches, praying for everybody in there. Just, just, it's just part of my posture. It's part of my practice because I don't want to get too fancy or too smart that I don't remember that sometimes evil tries to encroach on God's activity in the world. Wow. And I'm supposed to pray about that. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, how do we nurture children in the faith, young people, mm-hmm. especially young people, knowing it's that spiritual warfare is something to be dealt with as Christians, followers of Jesus, mm. but without sort of paralyzing yes. a child, for example. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. We're going to go like down the rabbit hole for two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I think they know, I mean, at a certain level, I think they're more aware of it and then we shut it down, you know, so but I'm curious a, what you think. Here's an interesting thing. Um, I'm going to answer this first and then give you a story. Okay. Teaching kids 
about the full armor of God is the intro. Hmm. Play dress up, however you want to do it. Like you, you know, Hey, God covered, God loves you so much that if you went outside and it was raining, you'd have to put on a raincoat. If it's sunny, you got to put on sunscreen. If it's cold, you have to put on some gloves. And so you never know what you're going to face out in the world. And there's negativity out in the world. There may be even negativity if we're, you know, if we're not being so nice to each other at home, you know, Mm. Paul not only talks about the, the full armor, but he also talks about clothing yourself with compassion. I think that's Colossians. Hold on. Let me look. Yeah. Colossians three, Colossians three, 12 as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's also, I mean, think about it. It's addressing it. Like it's, it's your, it's your garments. Yeah. One of them is around compassion. So one of them is kind of like, as you ease into the day, the other is on the offensive in a sense, right? With, in terms of putting on the armor that there Mm -hmm. may be people who come at you. It's no different than what black mothers tell their black children, right? Mm -hmm. If the cops stop, you put your hands at 10 and two. If some, you know, if some, if somebody is shooting, get under the desk. Yeah. So we tell them, right. If a stranger comes up to you, don't go with them. Don't look them in the eye. Right. Like there are things that are happening in the world that could like try to hurt your personhood. Mm -hmm. There are things out in the world that could try to attack your spiritual personhood. So make sure that you have all your armor on, whatever. And again, you know, we're, we're smart kids, so we don't want to encourage war and fighting and all this other yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But a soldier also protects, yeah. right? So it's like, how do you, so I just think that having that language, having that image, um, I recently put, somebody asked me to do the, you know, 20 albums in 20 days, it's going to take me like 200 days to put up the album covers that I like, but Twilight Paris, shout out to early eighties, Christian pop had a song about the full armor of God. And I used to, I used to jump around the house Yes, (laughs) and like singing it, right? Got my feet shod with the preparation of peace. Got my sword of the spirit. Like, I mean, she just went, she just sang it to the top of her lungs. And I had that thing memorized. Now I didn't know what I was really saying, but what I was saying is if I'm supposed to be protected in a particular way, then Lord protect me in that particular way. Yeah. Amen. So I think that's, that is a, um, I think that is the way to introduce it to children so that it's not scary. And my mother used to always say to me, like, you know, kind of, if God is for us, who can be against us, that there is nothing to fear, even in, even death, right? That God is always with you, always present, but you need to be prepared. Yes. We're not off the hook just because God is in control. And exactly. Know. And yeah. be aware that some, there may be some things really trying to attack your spiritual personhood. Yeah. 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 We've talked about Pentecostals. We've talked about Presbyterians. You grew up, um, 
in the Baptist church with what you call a secret Presbyterian. Yes. <laughs> pastor. Covert um, Presbyterian yeah, in the yeah. Baptist context. And, yes. Right. Right. And if you're listening as a Presbyterian, chances are you have recited the Apostles Creed, for yes. example, maybe after the sermon, affirmation of faith, um, also other traditions, practices. Uh, and one of the things mentioned in that creed the things that we believe is that the faith believe in the holy catholic church uh, mm-hmm. which in that sense means universal this this it's one church it's not lots of different churches but ultimately it's 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 one faith one church and um i'm struck by that we we speak this um into our worship but we also um often are the same people that perpetuate the factions that exist within that one church. Let's say, I mean, I've heard like, oh, the mega churches, you know, that they're always a problem for us <laughs> or versus neighborhood churches, which is better. Presbyterians often against Pentecostals and, and their ways of, of worshiping and praying or little baby churches, you know, the churches that have just started out, these new worshiping communities are pitted against um, grandma and grandfather churches. And I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts on why, um, why is that disunity so common in the Christian church? And what, if anything, do you want to say to us about that disunity? I'm curious, how long has that been a problem? for us. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to blame it on the West. Yeah. Um, I'm going to blame it on a competition culture. Yeah. Anybody that cannot say that phrase and live into it thinks that they are in competition for sheep. And I can't affirm you because yes. you might be stealing a few sheep that I feel like should be over here. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying, instead of saying, I am just thankful that there is another entry point for a child of God to come home. Mm. Like, I'm so glad that you're able to go home. All right, that's, that's not really how I see it, but you got a home. That's awesome. Wow. I resonate with that. I wouldn't have chosen that hymn, but that sheep has a home. All right. Like, okay. (laughs) All right. You know? And so it's no different. Again, I I love scripture. Let me just say that. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm in like vacation Bible school in my heart all time. You know what I'm saying? I want to, I want a song. I want to learn a little scriptures. I want to do the craft. I love the Bible. Right. So when the disciples are upset, because other folks are doing stuff. So maybe it's not, maybe I don't have to blame the West. I guess we can say that it's in the beginning. It's in the text, Mm -hmm. right? The disciples are upset because other folks are doing stuff. And Jesus is like, are they talking about God? Like, (laughs) right? because I think we're all on the same team the last time I checked. So maybe it's just human to be competitive. Maybe it's just human to be petty. Maybe it's just human to be jealous. Maybe it's just human to want to get into hierarchical things. So I think that this part of it is our humanity, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, that we want to think we've cornered the market on it. Now, I will. I do think that the the edginess or the the because it's one thing to be in competition, right, or to or to question. Because I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and forgive me for all those true biblical scholars who know chapter and verse of that particular story. So I, you know, I think that that's in there. But then there's actually like real fear that your growth or your depth or your take on the gospel will, will do something negative to me. Right now, now don't get me wrong. I do think that there are some extremist views out there that are really antagonistic to other people in the faith. Mm-hmm. That's not helpful. Right? right. And so I don't think we're talking about that, but just this idea of true people, essential tenets of, of the faith that are living into that the best that they know how, um, I think that there's real fear, but I also think that that a capitalistic view of church growth mm-hmm. is um, in the water. Yeah, I think that, um, and this probably goes back to just what I've experienced. If a church is under the weight of their building, they're not going to celebrate the church across the street that added 40 new members that day. So it's like, how do you get them to celebrate okay, we're 30 people strong and you know what? We're going to find other ways to utilize this building or we're going to sell it and go to something smaller so we can be faithful where we are. So it's not like it's, 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 it's not celebrating, celebrate how God is at work, you know, with you and, you know, together. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that, um, it's, it's tough. It's really, it's really, really, really tough. I also think um, if you don't practice it, it's hard to believe it. So if you're in your church and you're not connecting with the Methodists or the Episcopalians or the non-denomer, or like if you're not connecting ecumenically, then you can't, you can't say that. You don't have any, you don't have any place to see where this is practiced. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big ecumenical. Um, yeah, I like ecumenical stuff means a lot to me. It's always meant a lot to me. When we were at the common place and we had started, um, the, the evening worship service that's once a month, it was actually went through the history of, um, so the common place was that church is new spirit community Presbyterian church, which used to be Westminster Presbyterian church. And was also like, Greenway Press as, at some other time. So it, 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 it had like a 165 year evolution of moving and merging to, to be where they are today. But one of the things that was started in the late 1800s was an ecumenical service of the best Episcopal, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, like all of those folks would come together for a combined evening service in the community. Hmm. They probably could say that part of the creed. Yeah. In yeah. their bones, right? You, mm-hmm. It's got to get in your bones. Yeah. And so you, and so I think that that's the laity, but it's also the leadership, right? Ministeriums, yeah. you know, shared mission stuff. Like what are we doing together as the church, yeah. as a holy Catholic church? Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's easy to see it as a challenge or a complication when you don't mm-hmm. get to step out and experience the blessings and the benefits of doing oh my gosh the blessing together. praying and together. the benefits all yeah. of it all of it working yeah. together yeah mm-hmm. 
And we do sure. that all the time. I mean, obviously we're working, you know, those of us in secular jobs, like we're with people all different faiths all the time. All the time. We're able to do it, but when we step into the church and we think suddenly we're different people and we can't do that anymore. We can't yeah, collaborate. That's right. Yeah. But I do think it is human Yeah. to just say, this is my little thing over here mm -hmm. and I'm not with you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Um, Aisha, I'm curious when you think about the Bible that you love so much, you said, you know, I'm, I'm in vacation Bible school land all the time. <laughs> um, these days, what story about Jesus gives you hope? I really just, it has to be the resurrection. Mm. So not only just the story of the resurrection, but when Jesus appears to the disciples, it's John chapter 20, I think looks like 19 to 23, John chapter 20, 19 to 23, that there is life after death. And I know that, you know, my hermeneutical lens as a four, almost 45 year old widow who never thought that that would happen to me. Hmm. I am living after having seen death. And there is, re there really is life after death. And Jesus breathes on them. And so that gives a new way of being and breathing when you realize that we are a resurrection people. And then that's, we talk about setting it apart. I mean, that's what sets Jesus apart for me above any other thing is the resurrection. Mm. It, it, it changes everything. When you think it's over, when you think it's all done, when you think there is no hope, why are you looking for him, you know, among the dead? He's alive. Mm -hmm. that, ch that changes everything. Yeah. Changes everything. They're literally locked in a room, right? They're locked in a room. They're locked behind fear. Fear of other people, John describes. Everything. They can't do anything. They're paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is like, not even your fear or barricading yourself behind a door. You cannot hide from this hope. Cause I'm gonna find you <laughs> in, the lock love room, on, yeah. in the lock room. I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna love on you. And I'm gonna breathe some new life in your lungs. Amen. Amen. You know, and I'm like, all right, Lord, if they, if there's life after death, then come on, let's get some folks living. Get about that room. Unlock the door. Come on. Stop acting crazy. Let's go. <laughs> you yeah. know, like breathe, let's go. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. life after death. Yeah. 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 You accepting that, like, you know, we, you become that ambassador for somebody else. You become oh, that absolutely. participant in the resurrection. When people said to me, you know, how could you, you know, how could you take this job? Like, are you, you know, how, how are you doing executive presbyter work? I know it must be drinking from a fire hydrant. And I was like, um, actually serving a suburban church, helping a startup Christian nonprofit, taking care of my son and visiting my husband in a nursing home who can't talk. That's drinking from a fire hydrant. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, this, I'm okay. this? <laughs> we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, there is no church problem that I haven't have to look at. 
that is any worse than looking at the love of your life at 43 years old in a casket. And then still having to breathe and live into hope. Mm. So the, the, the resurrection. Yes. For real. Thank you, Aisha, um, for your vulnerability and authenticity. It's the gift of being, I, I told you before, that being in your presence is healing. And I give thanks for you. Well, thank you for this delightful conversation. And the next time somebody asks me which story about Jesus gives me hope, I'm like, I got it. I got the answer. Like, I'm, right. a, like I'm a VBS, right? I have the VBS answer. <laughs> it's yes. not just Jesus, but it's particular, right? It's yeah. particular. Yeah. Yes, mm. absolutely. To find out more about the Presbytery of Greater Atlanta and Aisha's work there, visit atlpcusa.org. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. By the way, Aisha and I invite you to check out the Matthew 25 Initiative, which is an amazing network of churches you can be a part of by nurturing congregational vitality, dismantling structural racism, and eradicating systemic poverty. Find out more at presbyterianmission.org. Our producer is the fabulous Marthane Sanders. You can visit our website, newchurchnewway.org, and see stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.